Sansuch, Chapter Eight, Read by Rosa Zane. Meet a Drowdam, Bamrys, daughter of Honrys. Bamrys is rather introverted, gentle and careful. A thin, quiet, black-haired Drowdam, her poverty has made her tired and resigned at times. She raised her younger brother Bomfar when she was little more than a child herself. After their parents were lost in a cave-in, she loves her family to pieces, and often went without so that Biffer, her enthusiastic and ebullient son, could eat. Biffer, who in temperament is rather like his father Kiffer, is loud and boisterous with every one except her. She was a miner, specializing in copper and tin. Bomrys died from inhaling black smoke from a mine excavation in Arid Lewin. The first was Floy, his head bowed and his shoulders slumped. Such fools, he whispered, and his voice was hoarse and full of horror. We are such fools, blinded to everything but our pride. It was as though Floy's arrival was the leak that began a flood. Dwarf after dwarf, pale-faced and shaking, woke up in the halls of Mahal. Their useless blind eyes all stared in terror, each telling the same story. They cannot get out, screamed a Adraro named Kulin as he woke, and his shouts rang through the halls, echoing over the ringing of hammers. They cannot get out! They cannot get out! Thorin held on to Feely and Keeley's hands as tightly as he dared. Freren clung to Fries, his head in her lap and his eyes haunted. She stroked his hair gently and sang to him. He stared ahead as though he could not hear anything but Kulin's desperate cry. Dwarf after dwarf after dwarf. Thrain took up a battle-axe and hurled himself against the walls, roaring with old, old outrage and fear. A flicker of madness danced in his eyes, and his open mouth did not form the shape of a roar, but of a scream. Thror wept soundlessly into his beard. Herrera clasped his head tightly to hers, her eyes also wet, as she murmured to him in a voice too soft to hear. Dwarf after dwarf after dwarf after dwarf. We found Durin's axe said one in a hollow, empty tones. We found Durin's axe. He did not need to name its price. Too many, too many in rapid succession. Thorn squeezed his eyes shut and begged Mahal to watch over them. His children were lost in darkness, too deep even for dwarves, and they could not get out. 
Balin's kindly face was creased in sorrow and guilt, and when he heard Thorn's voice he crumpled like a puppet whose strings had been cut. "'My fault!' he gasped, his sightless eyes filled with guilt. "'Thorin, laddie, how can I go on? It is my fault. I led them to that place. How can I go on?' "'As I did,' Thorin said low, and pulled him to his feet. Balin's fingers clutched at him, trembling and claw-like. "'As I did. We go on because there is no other choice.' "'There was a choice!' Balin cried, and Thorin held his own adviser close and wrapped his arms around him as tightly as he dared. Balin wept and wept until his voice cracked. "'My fault!' he croaked. "'You could not know.' "'Any more than I did,' Thorin said, and Balin's face twisted. "'Don't you dare make excuses for me, Thorin Oakenshield,' he rasped, utter self-contempt, making his voice harsh and biting. "'I thought I could see the beauty of Keled's Aram and the wonders of the Dale without reckoning upon the orcs. Five years only, and an arrow in the back.' Two hundred years ago, I fought in that very place alongside you. I saw what that place cost, and in my arrogance, I thought I could escape its toll. Moria, the Black Pit. Well did the elves name it. Thorin said, and Balin buried his head against Thorin's shoulder and shook violently. Balin... Kamil Bahunsh, it is done now. You can rest. Let it be. Let it go. Aye, Balin said bitterly. Rest. Let it go. Like you have. Thorin was silent. Thought so, said Balin with savage misery, before he began to weep once more. Fundin met Thorin's eyes, and he shook his head in silence, before taking his son's shoulders and leading him away. Dwarf after dwarf after dwarf after dwarf after dwarf. And they still arrived, their eyes wide and white in fear, their words tripping over each other as they shook in terror. Oh, save us, Feely whispered and Keeley's quick laughter was absent. Frar arrived, howling for Loni. He fell to his knees and was promptly sick before them, and his pleas for Loni became weaker and weaker as kind, gentle hands led him away. Nolly arrived, his old white head bristling and his face distorted with fury. The drums! he roared, blindly attacking any who stood before him. Frerin had his legs, and Thorin and Biffer tried to hold his arms, but the old warrior was given the strength of five in wrath and his panic. Eventually it took eight Dwaros to subdue him, and only after Thrain had finally knocked him out. Loni arrived, and he seemed lost and nearly childlike in his anguish. Frar, he said, his voice small and hollow. Frar, we should not have... Frar... Oin took the rest to the west gate. Ori is all alone. Ori is all alone. 
Ori is all alone. Thorin met Nori's eyes. The thief was nearly bloodless, his sly face drained and white. Without speaking a word, they turned and began to race for the chamber of Sansukul. We're coming! Keely shouted, and two more pairs of boots began to ring on the stone of Mahal's halls. They barreled through the corridors and crashed through the doors, pushing others out of the way as the breath slammed into their lungs. The pearl and diamond arch beckoned ahead, with its graceful filigree of mithril runework, and Thorin skidded to a halt before the crystalline waters of Gimlin's Aram, panting harshly. Ori, Nori said, and the others nodded. Oin, Feely said, and Thorin's heart squeezed painfully. My cousin, I to it he said curtly, and together they let the starlight swallow them and spit them back out into a world of shadows and madness. The drums pounded so loudly they rattled Thorin's jaw. Movement stirred in the darkness, and the chittering of orc sounded in the air. He grasped blindly for a hand, and found one fumbling in the dark nearby. Feely, Kaylee, he breathed. That's me, said Nori, his voice tight. I think the lads are to our right. Uncle? said Feely, and he sounded as frightened as a dwarfling. I can't find Key. I'm over here. But I don't know where here is, Keely said, and Thorn held on tightly to Nori's hand and reminded himself that he was already dead. Come over to my voice, he said, trying to project steadiness and calm. He kept his tone low and commanding. Come here, my Nidoya. It's all right. Nothing can harm us, remember? A touch at his leg made him jerk, and then he recognized the sigh of relief as Keeley's. Here, he said, and reached out to cup Keeley's wild head. Here I am. Nori and I are both here. Feely slumped down beside them, and the lad was shaking. I don't like this, he said. No one does, said Nori shortly. Come on, we're either near Oin or Ori. Even their excellent dark vision was close to useless in the stifling blackness that surrounded them. The clatter and clash of weapons nearly made Thorn's heart pause in its mad rhythm, and he squeezed down on Nori's hand sharply. I heard it, he said. Look ahead, shouted Keely. I can see light. It's Oin, said Feely. Oh, Mahal wept. Please, no. It's Oin, and he's alone. No, not alone yet, said Thorin, making out the shapes of other dwarves in the dark. They were fighting back the orcs, striking in a frenzy at their pale and bulbous eyes. The great Ithaline doors of Khazad-dûm stood partially open before them, and the starless sky shed no light to guide their way. Yet, said Feely grimly, they may yet make it out said Thorin, desperately hoping it to be so. The orcs shrieked and screeched, and another dwarf fell, his eyes bulging as blood poured from his mouth. He slumped onto the steps, and then rolled into the water beyond the doors with a splash. That was Ergen, said Nori, faint with horror. He owes me money, the swine. Push them back, Oin roared, his staff flying about his head. In his other hand, he held a short stabbing sword, which flickered and darted out with the speed of a striking snake. Push them out! 
The drums shook the floor beneath them, and Oin dispatched yet another orc. His gray beard was tangled and matted, his curled mustaches clotted with blood from his nose. His armor was rent at the shoulder. A large orc with insect-like features launched itself at him, and he lurched upwards and kicked the foul thing towards and out of the open doors before stabbing it in the face. I... I don't think they're trying to get out, said Keeley, and Thorin swallowed. No, he said. They're trying to push the orcs out. Can we help them? Feely demanded, and Thorin tried to bring moisture to his parched mouth. They are in Moria. They are beyond any help I could give. Thorin, said Nori suddenly. There's something in the water. With an eruption of vile gases and terrible groaning growls, a vast shape lurched from the pool of brackish water. Sinewy and whip-like tentacles squirmed and writhed towards them, and Keeley let out a shout of horror. The shout became a scream as the tentacles parted to reveal a huge and horrific body, with a ring of yellow teeth yawning for them. Dwarves and orcs alike screamed in terror as the tentacles grasped them and brought them into the air. The creature swallowed a dwarf whole before biting the head from an orc and hurling the rest of the corpse to dash to pieces against the cliffs of Khazad-dûm. Then a tentacle wrapped itself around Oin's leg. He shouted in alarm and rage and stabbed through it. The tentacle dropped to the ground and twitched. The gruff, jolly old medic sagged in weariness and leaned heavily on his staff, whole and unharmed. Keeley punched the air and whooped, and Feely sighed in relief at Thorn's side. Thank Thorn, he said weakly. He can't. The water exploded. Tentacles came boiling from the mark and gripped Oin's arms. He was lifted high into the air, struggling feebly as tentacle after tentacle wrapped around his body, coiling around his legs and slithering obscenely over his face. Thorin reached out and grabbed his nephews. Don't watch, he commanded them, turning their heads to him and clenching them as hard as possible in his arms. Thorin! Feely sobbed, and Keeley's wails were high and thin. The old dwarf's howls became a shriek, followed by a wretched gurgling sound that quickly became the crunch of bone and armor. Thorin closed his eyes and tried not to be sick. He knew they had moved from the west gate by the sudden lack of orc sounds and screams. He stood, trembling and nauseous, his eyes still clenched shut and his arms tight as steel bands around his trembling nephews. The drums sounded in the deep, sending tremors through the rock beneath their feet. Ori, said Nori, his voice catching in his throat. Thorin opened his eyes. Ori sat with a candle, his eyes bruised and hopeless. He was leaning up against a tomb of white stone and scribbling frantically in a large book. He's so young, Nori said, and his face was ugly with repressed emotion. He's so damn young. Why the hell did Tori let him do this? Weren't he supposed to look after him? He promised our mum he'd look after him. He did, Feely said, and he reached for the thief, but Nori shook him off. He did. He's never stopped. But Ori's a hundred and twenty-seven, Nori. He's not a little dwarfling anymore. Nori's hands clenched, 
and he bit down hard on his lip. My little brother, he said indistinctly, helped me every day for eight months after the battle. Helped me learn to walk again. We know, Thorin said softly. We saw. Nori snorted loudly and roughly knuckled tears from his eyes. Then you saw me shouting at him when all he wanted to do was help me. Mahal, he's so young. Aye. Thorin purposefully did not look at Feely or Keely. He is. Nori's laugh was a little hysterical as he crouched down before his brother. Ori did not look up, his hand skittering across the page. Suppose you'd know all about that, wouldn't you? You know he wanted to find someone one day? Me and Dory never wanted romance. Dory don't get any urges that way, and won't hear of it. And I prefer to take care of business myself, but Ori... Nori's face momentarily crumpled, and he ruthlessly schooled it back. Ori's such a soppy romantic. Love's a love story. I used to tease him about it. Ori, said Keely sadly. We can't do anything, shouted Nori, standing abruptly and whirling on them. Ori's going to die, and he'll die all alone, and he's not alone, said Feely in a weak voice. We're here. Fat's a lot of good it's doing him, spat Nori, and he turned back to his brother with tears in his eyes. When Feely opened his mouth to say more, Thorn quickly shook his head. Feely glanced at him and fell silent. They stood as silent witnesses as Nori wrung his quick-fingered hands, gazing at his brother as the tears began to roll into his beard. The door to the chamber flew open with a crash, and two dwarves came streaking through. They are coming! One gasped. Quick! Get this door closed! The other barked. Doom! Doom! said the drums. Ori scribbled faster and spoke without lifting his head. Where are the others? Gone, said the first dwarf, his breath coming fast and his eyes full of tears of rage. The watcher took Oin. Oh, sweet Mahal, that sound. The waters are all the way up to the gate. We cannot get out, Ori said calmly, still writing. We'll go down fighting, like Oin. He died screaming said the other dwarf flatly. Ori looked up, and there was a wild fire in his eyes. If I'm going to die in this foul place, he snarled, I'm going to sell my life dearly. You understand? I'm taking as many of those bastards with me as I can. Yes, Ori, said the first dwarf, his spine straightening. The other reeled, his head in his hands. Ori crossed over to him and slapped him hard. Understand? He growled. We'll give him a taste of dwarvish iron right up to Jaxie. He picked up a fallen axe and thrust it to the dwarf, who took it with nerveless fingers. All right. So we're about to die, he grated, and sent a glare over to the first to speak. You, me, and Grecha. No getting out of it. But they're gonna know. He nodded to his book, his jaw set and his face grim. One day. Not soon. Nah. But one day. One day they'll know what happened here. We won't be forgotten. We won't be forgotten, repeated Gretcher. The dwarf with the axe tried to speak around his sobs, and Ori glared at him. Droin? He licked his lips. We won't be forgotten. 
Thorn dragged Feely and Keely close and watched with heavy heart as the youngest of the company returned to his book, his hand clenched around a hammer and a fire in his pinched and tired face. Ori bent to his writing, his braids fraying and his woolen scarf askew. He wrote and wrote, his eyes alight with determination. Clever, meek, polite Ori, son of Jory, youngest of the brothers Ri. You won't be forgotten, he whispered. Keeley took a long, slow breath and let it out against his brother's hair. Brave Ori, brave Ori, echoed Feely. The doors of the chamber rattled, and the drums pounded out their song of death. Nori wept openly, his hair escaping the elaborate braids. You do not have to watch this, Thorin said, and Nori swallowed hard, his face wet and blotched. Then he turned to the doors, which shuddered. Yes, I do, he said, and lifted his chin. Dum, dum, sang the drums, and the doors splintered around the lock. Ori wrote one last line, the words sliding down the page, and then he whirled around with his hammer to crush the ribs of a charging orc. Another went down under Join's axe, and then like sand before a wave they were gone, swallowed beneath the swarm of orcs. Thorin reached for Nori as he howled in anguish. With all three in his arms, he squeezed his eyes shut. Dum, dum. The drums mocked, and the starlight rose and blinded them and threw them back into the cool tranquility of the chamber of pure and perfect sight. Nori would not let go of his brother for anything in the world. He would barely even allow their mother, Jory, to approach. No one could get past the protective and anguished thief to greet the new arrival to the halls, and so Thorin welcomed Ori as best he could, fended off Biffer's attempted exuberant welcome with a shake of his head, and turned to grip Oin's hand. Hello, cousin, he said quietly, and tried not to picture the terrible sight of this dwarf wrung like a rag between foul, writhing limbs. The ghastly sound would haunt him forevermore. Eh? Oin peered forward, blinking his useless eyes, a blanket wrapped around him. His hair had returned to the light brownish red Thorn could only barely recall in his earliest memories. Thorin! Well, I'm never! Good to see... Well, this is a turnaround, isn't it? I can I see a blessed thing? But I can hear you perfectly. It me, my friend and cousin, he said, and the bile rose in his stomach. It is... It is good to see you, too. Not precisely what I was expecting, he said, and sighed heavily. What a lot of fools we were. Perhaps you can convince Bolin, Thorn said. Oin shook his head sadly. Doubt it. He was their lord, Thorin. You know what that means. Yes. Thorin had more knowledge than most of what it meant to take on all that guilt. Yes, I do. Oin sighed again, and anger briefly passed over his face. It could have been so beautiful, so glorious, he said in a soft, longing tone. Then his shoulders slumped and his head dropped to his chest. Bunch of deaf, overconfident fools. Dane tried to warn us, and we did not listen. You had hope, murmured Thorin, and Oin squinted towards his voice. Oh, I? 
Well, we're good at that. Hope in the face of hopelessness. He nudged Thorin, a faint, sad smile creasing his face. Eh? Thorin forced a smile. The horrors he had seen were not so easily dismissed, and he envied Oin's joy at reuniting with those all around him. It would have been a balm. Groin and Haban steadied their son as he wobbled on his unsteady legs. Haban turned his face to hers and carefully tucked an escaping wisp of hair back into his curled and braided beard. Groin huffed under his breath and pulled Oin into a tight hug, and Oin choked. At that noise, Thorin pressed a hand to his mouth. It sounded so much like... He turned and strode from the sepulchre as swiftly as he could, making his way straight for the chamber of Sansacool to dive back through the glittering waters. Erebor, he needed life, and Erebor and Gimli. At one hundred and fifteen, Gimli no longer laughed as readily as he once had, and his quips had become less light-hearted and gruffer than before. Now and then Thorn caught him staring into the middle distance, his brow furrowed as though wondering where his uncle, cousin, and friends were. He wrote diligently every four months, and stubbornly refused to consider why they never wrote back. Thorn grieved to see his merry laughter so diminished. Gimli was as bright and fierce and joyous as his namesake. Gimli should be merry. Gimli should always laugh. Still, one thing was guaranteed to make him smile. Nearly eight months ago, in the summer of 2993, a small, curly-haired creature had been born to Bofur and Gimris. He was a beaming, chuckling little chap, with bright brown eyes, Bofur's nose and chin, dark red hair, and the Durin brow. They had named him Gimish, or Wild One, and Gimli utterly adored him. We Thorin was not so enamored, and scowled at his younger cousin ferociously every time he laid eyes on him. Dwalin was beginning to regret the name he had chosen. The comparisons were inevitable. Thorin was rather proud. His scowl had passed on to a worthy successor. Gimli took hold of the tiny chubby hands in his axe-worn ones and made them clap together. No, Gimajith he told the baby, and Gimish looked up at him with toothless delight. Shall we sing a song, you and I? Bull is bad, my son, called Gimris from the next room. You'll get a better tune out of him. Your mother is a terrible, terrible dwarfdom, Gimli said solemnly, clapping Gimish's pudgy hands together. The baby made an indistinct noise of excitement at the sound of Gimli's voice, and tried to coordinate his hands himself, and failed. Ugh. Oh, no, I think that might be a wee bit ambitious at this stage. Let's stick with me doing the hard work. What do you say? You are truly ridiculous with that child, Thorn told him, shaking his head in amusement and folding his arms. The knot of nausea and horror in his belly was gradually beginning to unravel. Ugh, well, I'm his uncle. I'm allowed, Gimli muttered under his breath, and then he gave his little nephew a besotted smile. How could anyone not be tommed by this little gem? He'd truly have to be made of stone. Thorin chuckled, and conceded that the baby was possibly a very dear and sweet baby, but Feely had been far more charming. The horrible sound of Oin's death was beginning to take its proper place in his memories, and he relaxed slightly as he regained his equilibrium. 
Gimli could be counted upon for such things. Now, shall we see about that song? Gimli said, poking the chubby belly. Your father would like this one. It's for mining. Perhaps he'll swing a pick or a mattock one day. With such big, strong arms as these. Gimish's mouth opened wide and pink around a bubbling chuckle as Gimli tickled under his arm. Then Gimli sang quietly, his voice rumbling, and he clapped the little hands together as he did. Be a brook, be a brook, sort the iron from the muck, pile it in the rattling truck, and take it to the fire. Adieu, adieu, can't wait till I'm out of here, sip on a frosty beer is all that I desire. That is not suitable, brother mine, Gimli said from the doorway, and Gimli rolled his eyes. He can't understand a word of it yet. He simply likes the rhythm. Well, I like it, Bofor called cheerfully from the kitchen. Was it one of yours, Gimli? Aye, from Arid Lewin, he said, and allowed Gimish to crawl over his legs. Made it up when I was sixty-something. I can't remember now. Here, Gimri said, hiding her twitching lips. You're going to be used as a climbing post in a second, and I need to get him washed. I don't mind, Gimli said, but he reluctantly handed the baby over to his mother. Gimri shook her head, settling him on her hip, as Gimish cooed and gnawed messily at his fist. Between you and Dad, I don't know who's the biggest app. Dad, said Gimli immediately. There's more of him than there is of me. Gimris, Maruby. The water's ready, Bofor called from the kitchen. Where's my darling little man, then? All right, my lad, Gimri said to her son, hefting him on her hip. Your least favorite part of the day, bath time. She's a cruel woman, said Gimli, clucking in sympathy. But it has to be done. You could take your own advice, Trollface, she said, and nudged Gimli in the back with her knee. Your braids are a disgrace. Did you come here straight after patrol? Well, I killed a walk, he said carelessly, and leaned back against her legs to peer up at Gimmage and pull faces at him. I had to let him know, didn't I? What with all the terrible lies you're going to tell him? I have to make sure he knows what a mighty warrior his uncle Gimli is. What a mighty fathead, you mean? She said dryly. I hope to Mahal you washed your hands. What do you take me for? Gimli put a hand on his chest in mock hurt, and then crossed his eyes at Gimmage. The baby squealed and giggled. You know how much I enjoy your loving sibling affection, and normally I'd be cheering you both on, said Bofer, poking his head around the doorway. But the water's getting cold. Courage, nephew, Gimli said gravely, and Gimli's kicked him before taking her son to his bath. Cruel woman! Beaufort appeared again, wiping off his wet hands on a towel. You stay in for dinner? Only, I think Alror and Alpha are coming over. Gimli rubbed at the spot on his back where Gimri's had kicked him, and then squinted up at Beaufort. I think I'd rather take Gimmage's place, he said with a snort, and Thorin echoed it. Bomber's son Alpher had developed a crush on Gimli. It was nothing serious, simply a puppyish wide-eyed fancy and certainly not the mithril true one love. But it was enough to make Gimli rather red around the collar. He tried to be gentle with the lad, and had kindly stated his complete lack of interest. Alpher had nodded sadly, and said he understood. 
and then the boy had mooned and moped after Gimli for the next two months. Gimri's teased him mercilessly, and Bofor thought it was the funniest thing in Arda. Poor Gimli did a lot of spluttering and tried to remain aloof and distant. However, aloof and distant were not really traits that came easily to him. Thorin felt for the poor Dwaro. He really did. But it was indeed amusing. Don't blame you, Bofor said, grinning. All those calf-eyed looks, you'd think we were serving up beef. I'll go down to Nori's, Gimli said with a shrug. Alpha can't get me in there. He's too young. Hark at the noble light of Doran, Bofor said and curtsied, fluttering his eyelashes. What a dignified and respectable royal family I joined. Me, a simple miner and toy maker. I told you you were marrying beneath you, Gimli said and ducked. Right on cue, a sponge shaped like a little axe flew over his head. Get out, you great lummox, before I make you do laundry, Gimli snorted, wet baby in towel juggled in her arms. Gimli kissed her cheek before knocking his shoulder against Bofors. And scare off the free child winder? Where's all the financial savvy dad always drones on about? He laughed and bust the sopping wet baby on the head. Try not to soak up too many of her lies until I see you next, my Hunith. Get, Gimli said, and flicked the towel after him. Waving, Gimli left the small family, and began to make his way from the upper courts to the lower levels, where Nori's tavern still stood. It had been renamed since Nori's death, but no one had taken any notice. The place was still Nori's, and probably always would be. The notoriety and fame of the company was not likely to die down in a mere fifty-three years. Gimli sat at his usual table and signaled the server. "'What's on tonight?' "'Mutton stew,' said the youngster, and Gimli wrinkled his nose. "'All right,' he said grudgingly. "'Can I get a plate of that, some bread, and a tankard of ale, please?' "'At once, Lord Gimli,' Gimli winced. "'Just Gimli, lad.' The young fellow smiled sheepishly and rushed off. Gimli sighed and tapped his heavy fingers on the tabletop. Loni's name, Gimli's, Floy's, and Frar's were scratched into the surface, and the floor was marked and scraped by the drag of Nori's metal leg. Well, he said to himself, this is a familiar scene. Names on a tabletop, and Gimli, son of Gloin, left alone. Thorin sat beside him, and took in the worried crease between Gimli's straight durin brows. "'Don't look so glum,' he said gently. "'They're not as far away as you think.' "'Though I'm sure Nori would be flattered that you think of him.' "'Wonder what Nori did with that evil-looking knife of his,' Gimli mused, tracing patterns over the tabletop, with the droplets left behind by the last tankard to rest there. Then he snorted at himself. "'Modlin already!' And I haven't even tasted a sip of ale. Ah, I need company. Perhaps I should consider Alfred after all. Thorin grimaced. If you do, I wash my hands of you, he warned. He's a fine boy, but he is a boy. You are a grown dwarf of a hundred and fifteen years old. Oh, I cannot even joke with myself nowadays, growled Gimli in frustration, and Thorin shut his mouth with a snap. I miss my friends. They laugh and smile. You make me smile, Thorin said, and without thinking he reached for Gimli's broad and brawny shoulder. You have always made me smile, little star. His hand passed through. 
Thorin let out a long breath of disappointment and left Gimli to his meal. Dory poured the hot water and swirled the teapot. Once. Twice. His eyes were distant and unfocused. His movements were mechanical as he took his tray and sat down at his loom. He picked up the shuttle, before placing it back down and staring at the latticework of threads. Reds and browns with a smattering of white and purple vibrated underneath his breath, and he lifted his thick hand and stroked the wool once, twice. "'That'll be a tapestry,' Nori said, and his normally cheeky, sly voice was subdued and sad. "'It's us!' Ori said, and pointed out the purple. See? He's weaving us. That's me, that'll be you, and there's Dory's hair. Ah, uh, Nori said, and his shoulders slumped heavily. I never did have the patience to see into the weave like you two. Ori wrung his hands together. Who's he looking after now? I don't envy him, said Nori, and he swallowed audibly. All the nagging and fussing and inconvenient questions. Dory touched the reddish-brown of the wool where Nori's hair would be, and took a noisy sip of his tea. Then he picked up his shuttle and it began to clack against the loom. Tears stood in Dory's eyes. There has never been a time he has not looked after you, realized Thorin, and though Nori's jaw rippled, he said nothing to refute it. He's alone, Ori mourned. Dory's never been alone. He's always been there. Always looked after us. Dory dropped the shuttle with a clatter. His hands landed on the table and gripped hard as his chin trembled and his eyes watered. The wood under his fingers began to creak. Mother Dory, said Nori bitterly. Our mum died when I was fifty, you know, and Ori was only ten, no more than a baby. Dory tried to raise us the best he could. I think he did a fine job, said Thorin. Nori raised a disbelieving eyebrow. Yeah? From your mouth to Dwalin's ears, then. Dwalin blamed Dory? Thorin frowned. Nah, Dory used to blame himself for my business activities. Said it was all his fault for not doing better by me. And then he'd swear black and blue and up and down that I wasn't going to go the same way. Ori said, rubbing at his nose with his sleeve. Remember? Boil by blows we might be. Nori joined in. With, With three fathers, fathers and, and no mother and poor besides, besides, but we can still have pride in our work and our manners. That's, that's what makes a dwarf a dwarf. Thorin glanced at Nori sharply. Royal by blows? King Oin the first, and the concubine Imris, said Ori succinctly. Recalling his lessons, Thorin winced. Ah, Dory didn't like to bring it up outside the three of us said Nori, watching his brother hunch over his powerful hands, the wood of his table splintering as he struggled to contain his tears. He didn't want people to whisper about us for yet another reason. Bad enough that none of our dads ever stuck around. His looks brought enough attention, said Ori, and he sniffed. Can you imagine how bad it would have been if they'd known he were descended from Imris? How they would have treated him? Thank Mahal for that punch of his, said Nori. Here, remember when that old fool wouldn't take no for an answer? He said he'd take you away, that Dory wasn't able to care for you unless he found a partner. I bet that slime he gets still eaten through a straw. Mother Dory, whispered Ori, and he swiped at his nose again.
He was the only mum or dad I ever knew. Wish he hadn't been so obsessed with what people thought. Nori sighed, and Ori glared at him through reddened eyes. Half of that was you, Nori. You and your horrible friends, and while unwrapping on our door every couple of days. Nori looked away. Yeah, I know. He doesn't even know I'm dead. Ori moaned, and then Nori swore loudly under his breath and tugged his youngest brother into a rough clinch. Then the thief looked up at Thorin, his lips white and two spots of color on his cheeks. Please, Nori begged, and Thorin put a hand on his shoulder and nodded wordlessly. Tell him, said Ori, and his fingers clutched at Nori's jerkin. Tell him we love him. We're waiting. We love him. We're all right, and he's... He's... Tell him he's a fussy old mother hen, and that Ori's not wearing his scarf, and that I'm making plenty of trouble, said Nori, and he laughed a raspy, painful-sounding laugh. That should make him happy. Dory likes to feel needed, said Ori softly. Thorin looked over at the beautiful dwarf. His silvery hair was escaping his elaborate braids, and he had broken the table, snapping it in two. Everyone does, he murmured. The teapot had shattered all over the floor. Drank from yet untasted wells. He stooped and looked in mirror, mirror and saw a crown of stars appear as gems upon a silver thread above the shadows of his head. End note. Audier. To gather. Dig for. Dwarf iron. Be a brook. Pick. Idme. Welcome. Gimmage. Wild. Gimmageith. Little wild one. Gamil Bahun. Old friend. Nidoith. Young boys. Ahunith. Young man. Gimli. Star. Tsansuhul. Perfect. True slash pure sight. Keled Zoram. Miror Murray. Azanol Bizar. Dimrildale. Gimlin Zoram. Starpool. Balin, Nali, Frar, Oin, Floy, and Loni are the names of the dwarves who died in Moria, recorded in the book of Mazarbul in the handwriting of Ori, son of Jori. This book was eventually found by Gandalf the Grey and the Fellowship of the Ring, and handed to Gimli the Dwarf, who brought it back to Erebor. In the Hobbit movie companion, it is suggested that the Ree brothers are related to the line of Durin on the wrong side of the sheets.